Good morning and welcome to Grace. I am Pastor Ryan. One of the most beautiful words in the Christian faith is the word joy. However, our world today has largely made this word a product of our circumstances. And somehow joy is surprisingly lacking in our churches. Today we seek to recapture the true meaning of this word and apply the practice of living joy into our lives. So thanks for joining us. Well, this past week, my wife and I went out on a date, and because this is church, I'm just going to confess, I am terrible at dates. And y'all should pray for Emily, honestly, because um, I, I don't know if anyone else can identify with me. I, I hope not, but many times when it's time to go out and have a good time, I'm always just thinking about how much it costs. Anybody else with me? Yeah. And it kind of keeps me from enjoying my time. It's a curse. It's not good. I'm confessing before you. Say, I forgive you, Pastor. Thank you. All right. I'm going to work on that. Right? Lord help me. Um, One time we were at uh, Pizza Hut. And I remember, I'm there with the family. It's supposed to be a fun family time. But then they don't just want pizza. They want cheese sticks. And then they want drinks. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to eat a salad. Right? Because it's cheap. But And then I didn't know it. But uh, someone... Uh, at a neighboring table, uh, saw us there, and they caught our waitress ahead of us, and they paid for our meal. And so when it came time to get the bill, she said, it's all been taken care of. Somebody paid your meal. And think about this. I spent that whole meal fussing (laughs) when I could have enjoyed it, right? I I, I was here all this anxiety over uh, this meal, but... um, I could have had joy. I I could have just enjoyed all that was presented before me, knowing that the bill was paid, but instead I didn't. I kind of struggle with this a little bit. And um, if you look at my wife and I, I wonder if you could tell who has more joy between the two of us. So you might be saying, oh, you just just snapped a bad picture. You weren't ready for it, except the the next one. I mean, look how excited she is. Just life and joy. And she's stuck with that guy the whole time. I got to work on this. Uh, got to work on this. One of the ways where you see this, uh, this idea of a free spirit or just joy in the Lord, you see it in the lives of kids better than anybody, right? And I used to be like that when I was small. And somehow when you start to grow up, you begin to think I got to be in charge of all these things now. And I have all this anxiety and it all depends on me. And and we, we carry this rubbish with us. But we weren't like that when we were children. Uh, for me, the utter worst of all is, even worse than going out, is uh, traveling. I do not like to travel. Uh, because I've, you, you got your, your checkpoints, and then you, and we, our traveling is usually back and forth uh, to the mission field. And so, you know, we're always passing customs, and we're always passing immigration. And I am, I am just a joy to be around, let me just tell you, for that whole journey. <laughs> Uh, there was this one time we were returning home and coming through U.S. Customs, and on the form they said that you need to declare everything. Well, we were carrying our little dog with us at the time, and one of the things on the check form was, do you have any livestock? What made me think that my dog was livestock? I'll never know. But I checked the box, and, and 
so that, that kind of, that gives them a red flag, you know, because there's only certain things you can import into the country. Well, it was an animal. I think that's why I checked that we were carrying our dog, but he's not livestock. And so normally all the other people going through line, and I know the plane's leaving, but then the customs officer said, we're going to need to take you in the back room, right? And so my attitude is fantastic, right? Um, they, they don't allow you to take pictures in customs and immigration, uh, but I happen to have one. I look like this. That is what I look like <laughs> going through customs and immigration. The reason I'm telling you this story is because as we went into that little back room, um, they had all these really cool little conveyor belts and doors that opened, and they had a sitting area. And I was in my joyful demeanor, and my wife was having to put up with me, but my son, because we didn't have Sadie yet, Micah, he was having a ball. He was having a great time. And do you know why? It's because we told him we were going to go see Grandma and Grandpa. And that's the only thing that he cared about. He knew that everything else was going to get taken care of because he trusted us as his parents. He didn't worry about a single thing. He didn't have a thought or a care in his mind about the circumstances that we were going through. And you can imagine that as he was playing with the automatic doors and as he was running around, his very loving and patient father was totally chill, totally relaxed that whole time. Except that I wasn't, and, uh, and probably, if I remember correctly, might have scolded him and made him sit down. But you can see such a difference there, right? You, you can recognize the way in which a childlike faith moves you to embrace joy. And you don't even know that you have joy. You just exude it your whole life. You radiate it out when you trust completely the authority who's going to take care of you and the promises of those uh, that have been made. The promise to Micah was, we're going to go see Grandma and Grandpa. And that's all he cared about. And I loved Glenn's message. Because if you caught the metaphor of the little dogs wagging their tails, it wasn't until the little dogs thought, I'm going to go home, that their tails started really wagging. Right? And that's the promise they held to. I'm going to go home. And for every single one of us here, the, the key that unlocks joy in our life is understanding the promise that God has called us, and that he is going to get us home. Uh, this message continues with our theme of gemstones, and, and the gemstone this morning is joy. Uh, we're going to be in Psalms 126. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And as you're turning there, I, like I want to do in these series, is I want to contrast the way in which the world understands these words versus how we as believers need to reorient ourselves. We need to redefine them the way Scripture defines them. And so as I was uh, preparing for this, I thought of a, a few categories here as to how the world thinks about joy. The first is uh, the, the present circumstance. So you'll hear people say, I have joy because things are going good. Right? Things are going good, and that's dealing with the present. Or it's the past. Sometimes they look back to the good old days, right? And, and we're always trying to recapture the good old days because that's where joy was found. Um, or maybe it's preference, meaning that I have joy if things go the way I prefer, right? If it goes my way, then I have joy. Or just pleasure. I have joy because uh, I feel good. And so that's where joy comes from. It, it's, it's locked into a feeling. It's locked into an emotion. Or performance, whatever you happen to be doing. I have joy because I have fun, right? The roller coasters, the, uh, the quietness of the, the beach, or enjoying time alone on the deer stand. Anybody with me there? Okay. Payment maybe, right? I'm, I have joy because I'm rich. That's where joy comes from. It's really found with money. And you're not really going to be happy unless you get your money situation taken care of. Or uh, passivity. This one I think is really true. Uh, nothing bad is happening to me, therefore I can have joy. 
But as soon as something bad happens, joy is gone altogether. Or very pretentious, like off in vain. Uh, the, the world really finds joy in things that appeal to our five senses. Uh, if it feels good, looks good, smells good, that's where joy comes from. And for the world, it's passing, it's fleeting, it's temporary. Joy comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. Uh, we, we're going to put that on trial here this morning. Is the Christian allowed to consider joy in that same way? Is joy something allowed to, uh, something in our lives to come and then to leave? And it's here one day and gone the next. Or how about uh, found in pride? Many times joy is connected to uh, achievements. Right? If, if I uh, do good, I'm proud of myself. And I, make, I have joy because of that. Uh, to redefine some of these as to what Scripture says uh, when it comes to the present... Uh, Paul says these things about the love of God. Neither the present nor the future things will be able to separate you from God's love. So whatever you're going through right now, doesn't matter. Joy and the love of God should be there. In the past, check out what Paul says here. Uh, One thing I do, I forget what's behind. That's in the context of Philippians when he's talking about all of the ways in which he has reasons to put confidence in his flesh. Very worldly way of thinking about joy. He says, I forget the behind. Whatever was in the past, I forget it. And I press on to the future, uh, to what's ahead of them. Uh, or maybe when it comes to preference, right? Uh, come on now. You guys are, I'm guilty of this. I know we're all guilty of this. If I get what I want, then I have joy. If I make it through customs quick, I have joy, right? Or if, um, you know, we eat toast and, and uh, macaroni and cheese for dinner. I'm, it's really inexpensive. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Um, but when it comes to preference, the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and in want. He says, I'm content whatever my circumstances are. Uh, as far as pleasure goes, this was a verse from uh, last week. He says that we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Let that one sink in for a minute. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. When it comes to performance, um, Paul says, I'm not going to boast in what I will do, but I will boast all the more in my weaknesses. Right? It's not because I'm doing good or having fun that I get joy. Paul says, in the ways in which that I have weakness, I will yet rejoice and boast in those. Uh, when it comes to payment, Jesus' words ought to floor us right here. Uh, it's not because we're rich. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He, he reverses it right around on its head. Our world says that if nothing bad is happening to me, we can have joy. Well, did you hear the reading from Bonnie out of of James? Remember what it says? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind. Whatever trial you're facing, consider it joy. That seems to be the exact opposite of what the world thinks. As long as nothing bad's happening to me, I can have joy. As a believer, we, we know that the word teaches something completely different. As far as being pretentious goes, Paul says I'm being poured out like a drink offering, right? I'm not, I'm not enjoying life according to what the world says. And yet, he says, I will continue to rejoice. He says that, by the way, in the context of prison. Locked up in change. It's chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. He says, I'm going to continue to rejoice. As far as what is passing, uh, Peter reminds us that we find our joy in something that's not temporary, We find our joy in something that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. That's the source of our joy. And then when it comes to pride, hear me now. It's not you. This is an awesome passage out of the book of Nehemiah. He says, the joy of the Lord 
is our strength. Not the joy of my ability or my wits or my paycheck or my you fill in the blank. It's the joy of the Lord. I got verses to back up all those as well. And um, I want, I'm hoping, and the reason I do this as we start is because I want you to see the contrast. I want you to recognize that you and I have been duped, really. Uh, the evil one is a deceiver, and his greatest task is to try to get you, even as Christians, to get the wrong definition for these words. If we could just redefine joy as something fleeting, then I'm going to cut short all that the beauty of that word means for believers. Hey, that word's ours. Amen? That, that word belongs to us. We need to redefine it. And we need to recapture it. That's the entirety of this series on gemstones. So that we can really see them as the sparkling, beautiful treasures. The foundations of our faith. And, and, and learn to define them uh, accordingly to what God's word says. So uh, we're going to be in Psalm 126. What we're going to do is uh, read through it quickly and then work through some observations. We, we, got, a, we got a bit of ground to cover with this, but uh, we're, we're going to work through it this morning. You guys ready? Say amen. amen. Okay, let's do it together. Here we go. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. That's it. Uh, six short verses uh, here, looking contextually to the triumph, possibly and historically when the captives returned from Babylon, from their exile, away from God's promised land. Because if you remember to the children of Israel, God made promises, right? He said that this is your land and I will make you to a nation and I will be your God and I will bless you. And he set up conditions on that, though his love and his word is unconditional. Your involvement of receiving the blessings was still left towards. Are you going to obey him or not? Are you going to believe him or not? And the people of Israel, they didn't. And because of that, God used a foreign nation to come and to take them. But he's still true to his word. If you return to me, he said, I will let my face shine upon you. And I will bless you. And I will call you back from all of the lands from which you were scattered to. And this psalm is that moment. This psalm is that moment of seeing the fulfillment of God's promises. I have a few observations I want to share with you today. Number one, joy is rooted in salvation. All right? For the Christian, joy is rooted in salvation. The promises of God. That is the root of it. It's not in your circumstances. It's not in whether uh, the guys and gals at work were nice to me today. It wasn't, I'm having a good or bad hair day. It's not what's going on in your life. Joy for the believer is rooted in the promises of God, specifically salvation. In order for us, because uh, by the way, this is the most important point I've got. Uh, so I'm, I want to I sit on it for just a minute. And we've got to look at another passage. So put, put a finger here in Psalm 126. And I want you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. Way towards the back of your New Testament. 
Mom, what page is that? Page 1887 in the Pew Bibles. Um, 1888 in mine, so that's pretty close. First Peter. Uh, Peter is starting his letter to people who have been uh, very much like the Israelites, scattered. Uh, and, and the church is scattered all over. So uh, these words, they are directly to be applied to you and I, all right? So let's... Let's listen closely. Verse 3 of chapter 1, 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, being kept in heaven for you. Who, are, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. All right, so here at the beginning, I want you to see, as Peter recounts for the church that which ought to give them joy, what's he talking about? What's underlined? He's talking about salvation. No, we, we're not going to press too theologically on this this morning. I simply want you to know this. You are saved, you are being saved, and you have yet to be saved. Uh, I'm going to unpack that a little bit, right? So, uh, you are saved if you have placed your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not by my merit, it's by Him alone. You are locked in. Um, uh, the, the Word of God says that Jesus is seated, and we are seated with Him in the heavenlies, uh, heavenlies Ephesians 2. So, uh, it's, as, it's as good as done. And yet... Every one of us is still kind of working through what that salvation means. Salvation for the believer on earth means that we are not what we used to be. And that my loves, my desires are continually changing. Are you with me? Right? If you're not a Christian, then that won't apply to you. You're just going to love the things of the world as much as you ever did. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to love the things of the world less. And you will love the things of God more. That's continuing. And yet here's the bad news. Every one of us, if Jesus tarries, is still going to die. So you're saved, but you're really not yet saved because your bodies need redemption. Your spirits are brand new. You've been born again. That's what it says. Did you catch it? Verse 3, new birth. You got that this morning? If you don't have that, you need that this morning, right? Uh, There is no salvation apart from being born again by the Spirit. I have the Spirit of God living in me now. Brand new. will never leave. Uh, the Spirit's a guarantee of our inheritance. And yet our bodies are going to wear out. Some of you know that better than uh, others here, right? Any, any amens from the church this morning? Body's going to wear out. I need a new body. Peter understands that. So look what he says. And uh, hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for you. The, the resurrected body is not something that we have yet attained. In fact, it's the same thing the Apostle Paul says. Not that I've already attained all this. But remember, I forget what's behind. I press on to win the prize, he says. All right, so right here, the main thing that Peter wants you to know, for joy is salvation. And it's salvation that's coming, the fullness of your salvation. And if you didn't catch it, he reminds us at the end of verse 5, that's ready to be revealed when? Come on, read it with me here, right? Ready to be revealed in the last 
time. We are not there yet. We're getting close. Now, he says these words at the beginning because what he says next is going to be hard to hear. Continue with me in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Any amens on that one? Yeah. Suffer grief. Many different kinds of trials. He's got some good words to describe it. A little while. Isn't that great? It's just a little while. Look, in in the scope of eternity, what's your toothache worth, right? Uh, What's that uh, trial you're facing worth, right? What's that difficulty that you have? It's only a little while. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Your faith is proved genuine through trials. Uh, I had a... um, uh, a, a mentor when I was starting out as a missionary and uh, it's tough to be a missionary you go through a lot of trial uh, out on the field and what that does is it really challenges you to live out your faith because that's what trials do they test your faith and he said this how do you tell what's inside an orange I thought that was an interesting question how do you tell what's inside an orange and you can if you just look at it I mean who knows if you, an alien to earth looked at an orange you'd have no idea what was in there until you squeeze it right Until you squeeze the orange, will you find out what's really on the inside? That's a metaphor for what trials do to our faith. How do we know what's inside you? You get squeezed, right? And what you go through, the difficulty, the suffering that you face, it will show what's on the inside. Uh, Even for Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? And God said, um, you're going to have to do something that's tough. You're going to need to sacrifice your one and only son. I couldn't have done that. Abraham did it. But in that moment, when Abraham was about to sacrifice, and there the angel said, stop. And there was a ram that was provided. God said these words, now I know. Not that God was confused on this, but it was evident. The trial, the difficulty, the squeezing of life proved that faith was genuine. So continue with me. He says, your faith will be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Are we there yet? Is Jesus revealed yet? That's still coming. Last days, we're not quite there yet. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Did you catch it? Do you see the joy? My, My son Micah is sitting in the customs office while I'm silently cursing under my breath. And he is so filled with joy because he's going to get to see his grandma and grandpa. But he doesn't see him now, but he loves them. Right? He doesn't see him there in that moment, but he believes he will. You get it? Are you seeing it? That's where you and I are at right now. I, I don't see Jesus right now. He, he sits in throne, seated at the right hand of God, but I love him now even though I don't see him. I believe in him, even though I don't see him here now, but we will one day. And do you know what that does? When you love and you believe just like a little child, you know what that does? Here it is. It's written down in the Bible. Verse 8 fills you with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I just need to uh, revisit it one more time. Joy is rooted in salvation. That's the source of our joy as Christians. 
And it is something that we look forward to. It's found in the promises of God. And now he's telling us, uh, Peter's telling us that it's going to be hard. You can flip back to uh, Psalm 126 now. Uh, in order for us to recognize the, the difference of this, i got a few other passages. <clears throat> Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 20 through 23, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward. Where? In heaven. That's how their ancestor treated the prophets. I, I, you got to know that word rejoice is a command. Um, we need to hear that sometimes, right? We need to hear that because sometimes our faces look a little bit joyless. We need to remember the source of our joy is found in the promises of God. Uh, this is another great passage back at 3. Uh, Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vine. What's that mean? You get no wine today, right? No, no grape juice today. Uh, though the olive crop fails, the fields produce no food. Sorry, kids, going to bed hungry. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. Sounds like a happy story, doesn't it? But look at the command. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Your joy is rooted in salvation and the promises of God. And so my first kind of uh, um, application on this is to correct the way we think about joy. We need to have the correct understanding of joy. You and I got to let go of what the world says. Be joyful if it's <laughs> good times. If you're not suffering, then you can be joyful. you got money in your pocket. Then you can be joyful. The Bible says completely the opposite. Rejoice when you've got none of those things. So we need to have a correct definition of joy in our lives. Um, otherwise, our faces might look like this. That will not be good. <clears throat> Number two, uh, joy anticipates while the world has anxiety. That's what joy does. Joy anticipates while the world has anxiety. Uh, back in Psalm 126, uh, verse 1, you saw the, the context is that God is bringing his people back. That's the fulfillment of his promise, right? So joy is rooted in salvation, the promises of God. But look what he says next. When they were coming back, he says, we were like men who dreamed. I, I, I don't want to lose you there, all right? Men who dreamed is the picture of a bunch of guys who just, you know what? It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome someday. And this is what I dream about. That moment where God fulfills all of his promises. I mean, it's not here yet, but we are anticipating it, right? We are ready to see it happen before us. Joy anticipates. That's what joy does. Micah's there stuck in customs, but he's not worrying one bit about what happens from there. He is completely overcome anticipating the joy of the promise that we're going to go see Grandma and Grandpa. Because that's what joy does. It doesn't have anxiety like dad. That's not joy. Joy doesn't look to the circumstances around me. It anticipates the promises of God. Deuteronomy 16, listen to these words. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. 
For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest, in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. This is in the Bible. God had to actually say, you guys need to be happier. We're going to set aside a week where the only thing that you do is party. You just have a great time. You, you celebrate. You feast. It's a festival. Uh, I, I'm, I'm shocked by that. that uh, honestly, because of God's goodness, he commanded that his people be joyful because they didn't know how to do it. Anybody with me? Anybody struggling with joy? Yeah, listen, you are commanded to be joyful. And the reason why is because God will bless. And so joy anticipates while the world has anxiety. And so the command of this is expect joy. It needs to be expected. I'm not going to be surprised when, when joy happens to show up because I happened to get a bonus check or as I happened to X, Y, Z, whatever that might be in your life. That, that's not where joy comes from. You need to expect to be joyful the moment you wake up in the morning. Not because of the circumstances, but because of the promise of your salvation. All right, number three. Joy giggles while the world gasps. Joy giggles while the world gasps. Look with me in verse 2. So these men who dreamed, who expected, who anticipated God to keep his promises. Verse 2. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Another version says this. We laughed loudly. I love that. Because for the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ, we have reason to be joyful. Some of us need to tell our faces, though. I'm I'm preaching to myself here, folks. Preaching to myself. We need to exude this better, right? Joy giggles while the world gasps. There's an awesome, awesome passage in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always. That's it. That's the whole verse, by the way. That, that is, that's it. The whole verse. So for those of you practicing scripture memory, there you go. Start here. This will be a good one to begin with. A tough one to obey. Easy to remember, though, right? Rejoice always because joy giggles when the world gasps. I want you to just see a little picture of what that looks like. Check this out. get access to big fireworks over there in the mission field, but we could get those little poppers, right? Those little things, right? That alone, this, the simplicity of that type of joy causes this little child, what could he do? Look at it, what could he do? He can't balance a checkbook, right? He can't find his way home, but he has such joy because he trusts and he enjoys the little things in life. Look, you got to remember this. Joy giggles when the world gasps, and so my challenge to you is to radiate joy. You and I just need to radiate joy all the time. And, and one thing that I can offer to you is uh, surround yourself with people who radiate joy. All right, Because uh, like-minded people attract like-minded people. And sometimes you're going to be down. But if you surround yourself with other people who are joyful, you will add to their joy. And they will add to yours. And you will all together be built up. 
It all rests again in the root of our salvation. But as Christians, like a little child, everything and every day is wondrous. And joy giggles. That's what it does. And I'm not making that up. That's in verse 2. Look at our mouths were filled with laughter. That, that Hebrew word there extends to the quality of their laughter. It's so full. We, could, we couldn't stop. It never happened to you where you're just like, give me a minute. It's like, just kind of, and you're just, uh, you, you ever get like that, right? Yeah. That's what that word means. They couldn't stop laughing. They were so joyful for what God had promised and what God was doing. Number four is this. Joy sings while the world swears. Joy sings. This one's a really important one because when bad circumstances come your way, uh, life gets gets rough. and, and, And you and I, if we follow after the pattern of the world, we get very discouraged. So on this date that Emily and I went on... We, uh, we went to a steakhouse because we had a gift card. Goodness sakes, we had a gift card, and I still needed to have joy, right? It was paid for. But we got seated at the table, and we had a wonderful meal, and we were enjoying our time, but we listened to the table that was seated behind us, and uh, the fellow there evidently uh, spilt a little bit of his wine. Now, this was a worldly salty fella, right? Because out of his mouth, he started to call on God's name, if you know what I'm saying, Right? And, um, and then he just kept doing it. And I, I, I just, it was the smallest little thing that happened, but he just kept calling on the Lord's name. And I said to Emily, he's pretty religious. <laughs> he, he, does, he doesn't know it, but yeah. Joy sings. Look back with me in verse 2. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Songs of joy. That was the characteristic of a life that knew God had saved them. They, you couldn't shut them up. They just wanted to keep singing. Jump down with me, verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with what? Songs of joy. Joy sings while the world swears. There's a moment in the book of Philippians where Paul has to write to the church because he's in chains. And the church is upset of this. Paul got thrown in jail. Well, gosh darn it. They could, have, they could have got really upset over by that. Look what Paul says. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. Meaning this. If I'm locked up because I came and preached to you and gave you the gospel. He says, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you. He must have been the most annoying prisoner in all the prison. They kept trying to, 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 to you know, beat him down, and he just kept singing all the more because that's what joy does. Joy sings while the world swears, and so I leave you with this idea. Declare joy. It needs to come from your lips. Church, you hear me? It needs to come from your lips. If you're not good at this, you need to practice this. And one of the best ways that I know of to encourage joy in our life is to listen to Christian music. Honestly, that's it. If, if I'm, and sometimes this happens, I know it's a shock that I cannot be joyful at times. I know it's a shock. Um, but I will force myself. I'll, I'll just say i got to turn off whatever news station I'm listening to because, man, the news will make you upset, right? And I turn on K-Love, right? 104.7, is that right? I don't know if I got that. 105.7, thank you. Um, or you can get it on an app. Or you can we got to get this right now, folks. 90.5 and 107.5. Thank you. I was close. I was in the 100s. I was close. 
Put on a CD. Put on music in your life. Uh, There are times where I've gone into homes and and it's just talk radio or or Dr. Phil or it's just, look, our our lives are filled with anxiety. Do you know why? Because we're letting the world dictate all of its problems to us. Turn it off. Shut it down and put on some music. Listen to the glorious word that so many artists have put out there free for us. And it changes your demeanor. It lifts your spirits. You can think of that moment with Saul in the Old Testament with David. You guys know the story? Little, little shepherd boy David comes in, Saul, grumpy old king, having a bad day. And David sits there with the harp and he just starts playing. And Saul wants to stay mad, but he can't. His, his anger starts to melt away. And his demeanor changes because of the beautiful music that's coming from David. That needs to happen in our lives. We need to learn to declare joy. We need, and if you have trouble with this, fill your life with music. It's all out there ready for you. Fill your life with music. All right, let's continue. Number five is this. Joy remembers while the world only recognizes. This is an important one. Joy remembers while the world only recognizes. Look with me in verse two as we continue, right? Tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations. Got to pay attention to that. These are not Israelites. These are people outside, right? They're watching the people of God and look what they say. The Lord has done great things for them. They recognize it. Did, did you see the Israelites today? Yeah, I was going to market. Those idiots couldn't stop laughing and singing the whole day long. What, what, why? Why are they like that? Uh, I don't know. Their God must have done great things for them. That must be why they're rejoicing all the time. The world recognizes it. But we as Christians, we need to remember it. And look at the next line that says here, verse 3. The Lord has. Is that past, present, or future tense? Has. It's past tense, right? The Lord has done great things for us. Joy remembers while the world can only recognize. There's a great passage in Nehemiah. I'm going to read it for you. And we already heard it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. I want you to catch the context around that. Uh, so in Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the temple, right? They're returning to, to the promise that God had made. This takes place after Psalm 126 has been written. So they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. What's going on here? They didn't, have, they didn't have God's word. They were, they were lost in exile. As they come back and they read it, they remember what God has done. Anybody here with a forgetful head on their shoulders? Anybody have one of those? Yeah. Um, there have been, I guarantee you, there have been moments in your life when God has shown up. If you and I don't record those, if we don't write those down, you know what's going to happen? They're going to drip out of the bucket, right? Because the bucket's leaking. And we're going to forget those things. We need to get in the process 
of remembering and forcing ourselves to remember. And so I leave you with this idea. Record joy. you got to record it. When we were missionaries, uh, we kept uh, a website up for all of our supporters so they could hear what was going on because they were with us even though they weren't there. They, they were part of our, 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 our support team. And one of the things that we put on there was a journal from, uh, from my wife, Emily. She, she would write a daily journal. And to this day, one of my favorite things to do is to go back and to read the faithfulness of God in those, in those moments. There are so many things I forgot, but they've all been recorded. You need to do the same thing. Get a journal. Uh, Maybe get in the habit of taking pictures of these moments. Whatever it is that God has done for you in the past, you have to hold that in memorial because you're going to face trials in the future. Your hope of joy comes from salvation. Where he's shown up in the past, you need to remind yourself of that because joy remembers. And the world can only recognize it. They don't know what that's like, but we do. Let us not become people who forget what God has done. We've got to remember it. All right, next is this. Joy works while the world wallows. Joy works while the world wallows. Verses 5 and 6 uh, are, are really kind of prophetic here. It says that those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. What, what's this individual doing? Is he sitting at home crying, having a pity party? No, he, hey, get up, take your seat, go work. Because that's what joy does. Remember, joy anticipates all this. So one of the things joy doesn't let us do is sit down and just have a, have a, have a little me time party. That's not what joy does. Joy works. The world wallows. That's what the world does. Paul's going to say that you and I, we, we have promises that have been made that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. What God has in store. You can have hope no matter what you're facing. And get going. Get going. Don't, don't sit down and have a pity party. Um, the, more than anybody on earth, Jesus could have, right? Are we in agreement on that? The person who more than anybody could have a pity party was Jesus. And yet, we read this last week. I want to remind it to you. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance. I used to uh, run track in uh, high school. Man, my coach was strict. He was just made us run and run and run. And I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. No, keep running. Keep running. Amen? Right? Keep running. So run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now check out this part. For the joy set before him, he did what? He sat down and had a pity party. Now, Jesus went before God. He did. And Jesus did suffer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he didn't stay there. Do you hear me? He didn't stay there. He got up. All right. I'm going to trust God. I prayed about it. I've given it over to him. I'm going to go. I'm going to move forward. That's exactly what's happening in our text here. For the joy set before him. Why is it before him? Right? Because resurrection for Jesus isn't there yet. Death is that water through which you walk for resurrection. Uh, We won't be careful with Jesus because he doesn't have sin like we have sin. And yet resurrection for Jesus is the same resurrection that's been promised to us. Hey, that's before you guys. You don't have it yet. That's in front of you. 
And so Jesus endured the cross, scorning his shame. He sat down. If we continued on to verse 3 in this, you would find that you and I are to consider him who endured such scorn so that we don't grow weary. So look to Jesus. What did Jesus do? He got up and he kept moving. That's the same thing that you find because joy works while the world wallows. These guys in verse 5 and 6, they're still sowing. They're still carrying seed. And so I want to say to you, choose joy. Choose joy. Don't be like this guy. <laughs> so I, I asked my wife, I said, hon, I need some pictures of where I look grumpy. And she says, oh, I got plenty of pictures. <laughs> so she just kept sending them. And I, I had to actually tell her to stop sending them. That, that's at, uh, guess where that's taken? That's at Disney World, folks. That's, that's what I look like at Disney World. So, so who's preaching to himself this morning, right? Yeah. Yeah, choose joy. Choose joy. And, and get going with life. Right? Don't, don't let yourself sit and wallow. That's what the world does. Let them have that. You and I have something far greater. Get up and work. Don't wallow. All right, lastly, joy, joy hopes while the world hesitates. This, this one's a little bit hidden here, and I, I don't want to press it too far, but if you look again at verse 5 and 6, what is it they're doing? So they're working. How, how specifically are they working, though? They're planting what? They're planting seeds. What does the farmer do when he plants a seed? He expects what? He hopes what? It's going to grow, right? There's something that's going to come from this. That's what joy does. Joy, hope. Not a single farmer plants and then is like, all right, I'm done with that, you know, and walks away. He, he expects that there's going, to be, there's going to come something from this. This is the same thing that we are called to enjoy. Because joy hopes while the world hesitates. Awesome passage from Paul in Romans 5. Uh, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. All right. That's a tough one for us, right? But here's why. Because we know suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Joy hopes when the world just hesitates. And so I leave you with this command Live joy. Live it. It's the most depressing person to be around when they're always, oh, um, Eeyore, it's not going to go good. Right? <laughs> uh, look, you need to live like a Christian would live. you got to be like that little boy giggling, right? That there's just nothing that can stop you. You, you need to characterize your life such that when people look at you, they're like, man... That person's God must be doing great things for them. I don't know what that's like, but look at them, right? Because joy is just saturating all that they are. So record joy, choose joy, live joy. Um, I want to leave you with one application, and this is pretty simple. But if you've been paying close attention this morning, you may have noticed we skipped a verse. I don't know if you knew that. We skipped verse 4. There's a reason for that. It's only in verse 4 that the author turns to God. And he petitions God. Here are his words. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. So the Negev is a, is a desert. It's a very arid region. And they have these steep kind of uh, cliff sides called wadis. And when it rains, all that water collects and it channels. And when the water flows in the desert, it fills everything. And it doesn't fill it over like, well, a couple weeks now. Maybe It fills it like right now. Like right now. That's what he's asking for. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Like right now. Let's do it. 
And then he leaves it there. He trusts God after he says that. Yeah, look, I know what God's promised, so I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him, and then I'm going to trust him for it. And so the application is this. Believe. Trust God's promises. That's where joy comes from. If you don't have joy, it's because you missed this. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say it's mean, but I don't care what's going on in your life. Every one of us got trials in our life. Clue phone. This world broken. Is that news to anybody? Right? This world is a mess. Jesus says, this world has had troubles. Take heart, though. I've overcome the world. So that's the promise given to you. In this life, you're going to have trouble. That's, that's not, not ought to be a surprise to any of us here. So where do we find joy? We find joy because we don't look at our circumstances. We look at what God has promised. And you and I need to believe it. You need to believe it just like that little boy, just like my son. Listen to Jesus' words here in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Now, if this was me, I'd be like... Hey, we got places to go. What, what are your kids doing, in a way? Make an awesome pastor, right? <laughs> Look at the disciples. The disciples are doing the same thing. Hey, get the kids out of here now. We're busy, right? We're trying to move the kids away. Look what Jesus says. Let the little children come. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Oh, I loved Glenn's message. That little dog's wagging his tail because he knows he's going home. Where, where are you going? Do you know where you're going? Because if you know where you're going, if you know the promises of God, you can have joy. The world knows nothing of. You can have Christian joy because you believe, because you trust Him. Let's pray.